I did get distracted again. Uh -huh. Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. But Jesus answered the question with a question. Like all is now be good. There's one good. And that's what I'm. That's all up right. I thought the thing said 55 or 54. See, it didn't matter what the plan of salvation was if he couldn't have faith in Jesus Christ. You can get all you want to. You can be baptized every day under heaven. But if it's not the name of Jesus, it'll all be for nothing. But if you believe that he alone is God and that he alone is good, that'll make salvation come to your life. That'll make everything inside of you become changed by the power of God. But you first have to know who he is. Because if you know him, you will know that our God is. He's good. Oh, Christmas is There's nothing good in you. Nothing Every good thing comes from above. Except the Super Bowl. Every good thing that's ever been came from God. Our God is good. I'm so glad to know him today. I'm glad I know Jesus. And I know that he is coming soon. Man, you have your Bibles, I'd like to go with you this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read a decent number of verses in that chapter before we're done. I'm just going to read one while you're standing. I appreciate you standing for reading the word of the Lord. Man, it's important. We acknowledge just how great it were in this answer. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes in the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It says, For we are laborers together with God. That sums it up what the church is. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's builder. God's doing something with you. Doing something with me. We are doing something together. We are doing something with God. And I want to preach for a little while today on simply the word and the whole idea Unprepared. Would you lift up your hands and your voices and give the Lord worship? God, we love you. We thank you. We know that you are a good God. We know that there is no God. Oh, God, we lift up the name of Jesus. We love every name we exalt. We worship you. We glorify you. Because there is none like you. God, let your spirit linger in this house today until your work is done. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Such a powerful and explanatory scripture as to what in the world we are. I mean, the Bible talks about how great a mystery the church is. and It is that thing that had been hidden for generations. It was the thing that took Mankind by surprise. 
Certainly it took the Jewish nation by surprise because they didn't expect Gentiles to have a whole lot of anything to do with it. And it took Gentiles by surprise. The Bible tells us that the Lord spoke and said the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent taken by force. Once there were people like you and I that realized we could get our hands on a saving God, Somebody had to have it. Somebody had to have him. And that's exactly what they did. This mystery that had been hidden for millennia is now here, living and breathing in the world of which you and I live. And this one scripture encapsulates everything that we are. But the Apostle Paul gives two images here, two, two metaphors that, that kind of seem like entirely different things. He calls us God's husbandry and he calls us God's building. The husbandry means that we are his vineyard or we are his harvest field. We're the thing that he works in. We're the thing that, that produces fruit on our branches. And we are also his building. We are the building of God. So, so why would the Apostle Paul put these things together? Why would he use these words, because after all, you know, you got to know that's why I'm here today, right? Amen. If you go back to a handful of verses, beginning of that chapter in verse 1, the apostle writes, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes of Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you're not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Some of the stuff we talk about talk about on Wednesday nights can have a whole lot to do with that, that strife and division stuff. Verse 4 says, For while one saith, I'm a Paul, and another I'm a Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? We know who they were, and so did those folks. But ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. And then the apostle opens up this whole idea of being the, the field or the vineyard of God. He says, I have planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. That, that's how the kingdom of God works. He said, I planted and Apollo's water, but God gives the increase. So then, neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and watereth are, are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And then to put it right back where we started, for we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry, and you are God's build. So, what's got the Apostle Paul all wound up here? What, what, why is he going down this path in Scripture? Why is he writing these things to the church that is there? He is upset because they are allowing foolish things to divide him. They're allowing these ideas that they're absolutely wrong to cause division in the church. They're allowing foolish and silly things to distract them from their true purpose. That is exactly what the enemy of our soul does at all times. He uses every weapon he can think of. He uses everything he can possibly imagine 
to try to keep the church away from an understanding of who they are and what they are in the earth. Because if we just be the church, the Bible says hell can't win. The gates of hell shall not, cannot, will not prevail against the church. Paul said, I want to refocus your attention for a little bit. I want you to make sure what you are all about. Because the truth is, you and I don't save souls. God does. We don't transform lives. God does. It is God that gives the increase. But... Just because it is God that saves and God that gives the increase doesn't mean that we're just walking around with a field of greens for anybody We're not just supposed to sit back and, and watch God do the stuff that He does. God doesn't just sit out there in the field and, and work and labor and we just watch Him show up. Paul said we are laborers together, not just with one another. But with God. Amen. Somebody ought to be excited just knowing that everything you do for his kingdom, he's right there beside you. He's right there with you. His hands are on yours. We are engaged in the work of his kingdom with him. If you want to be in the presence of God, then start doing what he's doing. The Lord said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Go on, get tired of the dry, dull, and boring church. And look at the preacher and want to know why he ain't preaching like he used to. And look at the song leader and the praise team and say, why can't you sing it like you used to? If you want church to be exciting, if you want us to be right in the midst of the Bible, then you're a soul. It's somebody to go to Jesus, to come in the house of God and lift up their hands towards heaven and be filled with the Holy Ghost and nobody's got to figure out the Bible anymore. That's right. When your lost husband or your lost wife or your lost children are standing at an altar speaking in an unknown language, I'm not going to have to beg you to worship. I'm not going to tell you to shout. You're going to have a reason. Because you're right in the middle of what God is doing. Your labors together with God. Now go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 13. Because I want to make sure you understand why. Why we got to get the fullness of the message of this whole we're out in the field stuff. Because it wasn't just Paul that made up this idea. It wasn't just Paul that sat around and said, well... You know, if I use this technique of comparing it to a field, they'll understand it. Jesus himself talked about the field. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1. The same day when Jesus out of the house, sat by the seaside, great multitudes were gathered together in the hill, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell on stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, 
because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns. The thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell upon good ground and brought forth good fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Now, I know you were spiritual folks, and you understand exactly what it is that the Lord was talking about. But those not quite so spiritual disciples didn't. So, when all the crowds left, because they didn't want to be embarrassed, they said, Lord, would you please explain to us what you're talking about? Verse 18, Jesus says, Hear therefore ye the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that receives seed in the stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and not with joy receiveth it, yet he hath not rooted himself, but dureth for a while, for the tribulation of persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The Lord is filling all the blanks and they understand that he was talking about saving souls. He was talking about people being filled with the power of God. He was talking about the, the whole idea of what the church was going to be. The plan of salvation was going to be accessible to any living, breathing human being that would have faith in God and obey His Word. But the only way that was going to matter is if somebody cast the seed. Now, he, he goes on to tell us what the seed is. The seed is the Word of God, which is how we know that you have to have the Word of God to be saved. You have to believe upon His Word. He tells us that, that the Word is good seed. There's nothing wrong with the Word of God. It is infallible. It never fails. It never falters. Whether we believe it or not, whether we preach it or not, whether we teach it or not, it is still true. And it is still good. Every word of God is good. Which means something important. It means that every message preached can produce something. Every Bible study that is taught can save someone. Every time you speak the word of God into somebody's life, it has the power within itself to produce fruit. So why does it? Anybody ever give a Bible study and they didn't repent? Anybody ever preached a message and they didn't repent? Anybody ever spoke a word of faith in somebody's life and it just seemed like nothing's come from it? Why doesn't it always produce fruit? The whole purpose of the parable is to point out that not every ground produces fruit. Not every place that the seed lands produces something valuable to the kingdom of God. Now think about this for a second. The seed is good. We can't blame the seed. I know some of you gardeners have done that before. 
you know, you planted your garden, you didn't use the right fertilizer, you didn't weed it, or it was in too shady of a place, but then somewhere along the way, that surely couldn't be the reason. Because you are a master gardener. And so somebody's heard the word before, oh, I must have got back. I don't see. I know you might know. The seed is good. It's not possible for the seed to be bad. And the sower casts it out. We know it doesn't do any good to keep it in the bag. Nobody ever talks about Jesus. We know nobody's ever going to be saved. But here we're talking about the sower casting it out. So the seed's good, and somebody's throwing the seed out. So why doesn't it always produce? What is it that makes the difference between the ground that it produces fruit in and the ground that it doesn't? It all comes down to a lack of preparation. Either the sower sows it in a place where it's not profitable, or no one worked the ground to make it. Folks, we live in the state of Georgia. And there's a handful of crops that grow really, really well in this old hard clay soil. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that don't. You try your best, you can dig that hole as deep as you want to in your backyard, but if you've got pitiful soil, it ain't growing. It ain't going to be healthy. It's not going to yield anything because the soil is not fit for it. And I know we like to just blame it on the South, and I understand we are where we are, and there's not a whole lot we can do about it, but there's some truth behind the fact that you can amend your soil. You can get some organic matter, and I know most of you know what that kind of stuff is, but you can get some organic matter, and you can plow it in that dirt along with it, and give it some time, and give it some opportunity, and give it the ability to be changed, and all of a sudden, what used to be unprofitable can now yield. Growth. So I understand that the birds sometimes eat up the seed. I understand that sometimes some folks don't want to serve God, and some folks want to be all concerned about the things of the world. But the truth of the matter is, I can work on some dirt. I can get down into somebody's life. I can get down into my own life, and I can start working on an environment. I can start working on some soil that will produce a hundredfold for the kingdom. That must be why Paul said, I have planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. Paul realized it's not enough just to get up one time and preach a message. Oh, I wished it was. Folks, we, we never stopped building church buildings. All I had to do was come preach, repent, and everybody in the building got right with God. We, we never had church buildings. We just needed tents and on street corners. And the whole world would have been saved in one generation of time if that's all that it took. But Paul said it's a little bit different than that. You gotta keep planting. You gotta keep watering. You gotta keep pulling weeds. You gotta keep chewing birds. You gotta keep doing the work of God's kingdom. There's always potential for there to be increase because the word is good. But the thing that makes the difference, the thing that changes empty pews into 
40 more years. If you don't ever do anything with it, it ain't going to make There are folks sitting in churches all across this world that have been there for a lifetime, seemingly, and they hadn't done anything about it. I can tell you to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name all day long. But if you don't do it when the traction trumpet sounds, you're going to be left behind. I can tell you that the word says we've got to live a holy and godly life in this present world. But if you don't let it cause you to put your sin down, you're still going to be lost. I can tell you all day long that God died so that sinners can be saved. But if you don't open up your lips, if you don't open up that book, if you don't begin to work on the ground that God has put you in, it don't ever matter. There's always potential. The seed is just sitting there. In all of its perfection, it's just sitting here. Most of us have one of the one. Most of us have half a bookshelf full of it. It does no good on the bookshelf. And the truth of the matter is, once I'm saved, the only good it does when I read it is to keep me saved. But it don't save you. I read it 15 times a year. I can memorize every word on its pages, but if I keep my mouth shut, you're still lost. The seed is always sitting there, but it took Paul planting it. It took Apollos watering it. It took some men and women laboring in the kingdom of God for God to do his perfect work. Go back there again in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 3. Same thing, now for the third time. We're laborers together with God. You're God's husband, do your God's building. Verse 10 says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. Now he changes the, the image. We've gone from the field to the building. We've gone from the whole idea of we are God's harvest field to we are God's building. And he says the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now this is the easy part. Once you come to an understanding of who Jesus is, and you know that he is God. And you have trusted him for salvation. And you have obeyed him in repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus. And you have been filled with the Holy Ghost. You know that Jesus is the foundation that nobody else can lay. You know that Jesus Christ is in fact the chief cornerstone. But a cornerstone can be lived in. Cornerstone is not a building. It's a start. It's a beginning. Jesus said, I've got to go away. Because the things that need to happen down here in the earth cannot happen until I go away. Now he said, don't be afraid, don't worry. I'm going to send my spirit back to you. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. But Jesus never came. To build the church. He came to be the cornerstone. 
He came to be the foundation that no other man can lay. But from that point forward, he looked at Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the brothers and said, Now it's up to you. And that's what drove Peter to stand up on a street corner in Acts chapter 2 and say, Let me tell you something, men and brethren. If you repent and be baptized, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's build the church. God forbid. We've become one of those people that just want to live in the upper room until Jesus comes. He didn't say stay there. He said get out of here. Get out of Jerusalem. And on to the uttermost parts of the earth. Keeps on going. If any man build upon this foundation, if, why does he say if? Because he can't, he doesn't make us. You choose what you do for God, unfortunately. The church would grow a lot faster if everybody had to. That's not the way God does things. Never has. For if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. What are we in this thing for? What are you serving God for? Church, I want to be heaven. This world's not my home. I want to make to, 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 to open up my eyes on the other side. I want to be with Jesus. I want to escape the bonds of this world and live with Him forever. I want to be with our Lord. I want to hear His voice say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to rule and reign with Him forever in His kingdom. But it's not just about being saved. It's about building work. It's about building something for God. So what are we supposed to build? He begins to list out some things. He says you have the choice. You can build gold, silver, precious stones, wood, and hay, and stone. But be careful because the fire is going to try them all. We're living in a day where the fire is trying what we built and what we have. And not everything that men have built for God in this world is going to stand the test. There are a lot of churches aren't going to make it in the next 18 months if the Lord even tarries that long. Because they were building out of the wrong material. So what, what, what does all this mean? Why does he write these things? Gold and silver and expensive stone were permanent building materials. They're what you built the temple with. They're what you built government buildings with. They're what you built synagogues and churches with. Because they were materials that were used to build things that were supposed to go beyond you. But wood and hay and stone What's your house 
got a brick house. I get that, but the roof ain't brick. The dividing walls aren't brick. See, I know even this old church has got some, some block original buildings back there, but you ain't got to walk any lap around the church and realize age is taking its toll on this whole place. Right. Because it's made out of wood, sheetrock, and insulation, things that don't last forever. U.S. White House has been around since about 1800. Buckingham Palace was built in 1703. Palace at Versailles in France was built in 1682. You get the point? If the Lord tarries 200 more years, I'm going to go and prophesy this building ain't going to be here. I know all of us won't be here, but this building ain't going to make it 200 more years if this world continues on in our current dispensation. It just ain't going to happen because the world is not going to make it. The shingles aren't going to make it. But there are buildings still standing in this world that were built hundreds and perhaps thousands of years ago that have not given in yet. They may look worn down a little bit. They might look a little discolored sometimes, but they're still standing. Why are they still standing? Because it's what they were made out of. It's the materials that, that they were built out of. What in the world does that have to do with us? Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Where mold and rust that corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust that corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If the Lord tarries, one day I'll be dead, and so will you. If the Lord tarries, one day this building will be gone, and who knows what will be in its place. But every soul that prays through to the Holy Ghost, every soul who gave the gospel of Jesus Christ will live now and forever. Paul didn't care one iota what kind of house you lived in. He wanted you to understand if you're going to take your time and your money and your energy and your ability in this life. Build something that matters. Build something that makes a difference. And the only thing that makes a difference is what's eternal. The language in Luke chapter 12. The first part of this story is going to say, I realized how the world is working this in. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Another of the Lord's stories. He says, He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room for to bestow of fruits. Any of y'all ever had that problem before? Too much I ain't fruit. talking about your junk, you won't get rid of it. Not too much fruit. You know, the FDIC only insures your bank account up to a quarter million dollars, I think it is, a quarter or a half million dollars. Anybody ever sat down and said, you know, I'm going to have to give myself something Because i got so much money, if everything falls out, I'm going to be able to I never had that problem. What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. 
pull down my barns and build greater. And there I'll bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat and drink and be merry. Now, I know most of y'all know how this one ends. But God said unto him, Thou fool. That's where you wonder, how is he preaching this? But now God calls him a fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The rich man was not foolish for building barns. Folks, if you plant a garden in your backyard and it produces 5,000 cucumber, you ain't eating that much cucumber before it rots. You're either giving it away or you're going to can it. Or else all of the harvest went to waste. The rich man was not foolish for thinking, when my harvest is great, i got to have a place to put it. When my harvest is great, I've got to have some way to store it. The rich man was foolish because he was concerned about the wrong harvest. God called him a fool because he was concerned about earthly things and not about heavenly things. But you and I know that the harvest is heavenly. But that doesn't mean we don't have to build the barn. It doesn't mean that we don't have to do the work. There's still work to be done to prepare for the harvest. Sometimes revival and sometimes harvest does not come to a church and to a body of believers because God knows that if He gave it to them, they have no idea what to do with it. If the seed falls on rocky ground, it's not going to yield increase. It's got to fall down into some ground that's good. Some ground that has the nutrients that it needs, that has the soil type that it needs to produce greatly for the kingdom of God. And so the Lord keeps on talking. He said unto his disciples, Therefore, say unto you, Take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. He said, There are things that matter more than what's consuming you in your life right now. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If you then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you of the only of little faith? Seek God what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Neither be ye a doubtful of He's looking at the men that he's about to entrust the future of the church. And not just the church, but the light that is going to shine to all humanity. And he is speaking to them saying, you've got to stop worrying. 
about where the next set of clothes is coming from. You've got to stop being eaten up by what you're going to eat later on that day. You've got to stop letting the thing at the top of your list be the things that the world is concerned about. You need to realize there are greater things. There was a time when Jesus was ministering to a woman at the well. His disciples showed up and Jesus said, I'm not hungry. And they looked at him and they looked at each other and said, did anybody bring you up something to eat? And the Lord said, I've got meat to eat. That you know not of. I've come to tell you, we stop writing and complaining and moaning and groaning if we get emptied out in this world and get filled up with the things of the kingdom of earth. All these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek you the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added to Fear not, little flock. I believe this is a word for us today. Fear not, little flock. I'm speaking, I believe I'm speaking to some of the authority of Jesus. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I know what the Lord tells someday. I'm not going to be too old to work, and I'm going to have to have some kind of retirement. And I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. It ain't looking all that good for me right now. But I've also come to tell you, I can die in poverty.
church and nothing ever changes. I'm not saying nothing ever changes. I've seen people grow. I've seen people change. I've seen people be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not making light of anything about And I know we need time to be strong. I know we need have time to, to get uplifted. But I just don't believe in days and weeks and months and years without somebody being filled with the Holy Ghost. This is Satan. I just don't believe in it. There's too many lost people. And we know too much Bible. Oh, I know, I know, maybe not theologian. And you don't know the ins and outs of every book, chapter, and verse. But folks, if you know that you've got to reveal your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name, and if you'll just do that, they'll be filled with the Holy Ghost and be able to speak in another tongue. You know enough to be a soul winner. You know enough to tell somebody about Jesus. You may not even know that, but if you can look at them and say, I don't even understand how yet, but I went to an altar and God filled me with the Spirit. God broke my addiction. God changed my life. You know enough to be a witness. I know this preacher sounds like a broken record, but there's just one Bible. There's just one God, and He never changes. And he's still asking us to do the same thing. I keep preaching. We've got to win souls. We've got to put God first. We've got to take all of our worldly concerns and move them down to the bottom of our list and get God back up to the top. Because even though he's the foundation, even though he's the chief cornerstone, he is not the whole building. We are the church. And he's not even doing the building. You see, when it's cornerstone, the whole purpose of the porch is that it's level. It's in the exact spot that it needs to be in. And if the builder just takes everything forward from that cornerstone, if everything is kept level from that reference point, then everything is level. If the builder would just make sure that the things he puts atop and around the cornerstone are in line with the cornerstone, then the building is solid. As long as we stay in the book, as long as his spirit still lives inside of us, as long as we're still preaching the same gospel that the disciples and the apostles preached, we're going to be all right. We're going to be souls because we are God's building. I know i got to stop. i got to get done. So what is the first step? We're going to be on this for a little while here at church, but I'm going to give you the first step tonight, today. Back to where we started. Verse 14. Any man's work abide which he built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved. And so as by fire. 
he talking about that? Verse 16 says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God. You're the building. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. This temple. you find it just a little bit interesting. You read the history of the city of Jerusalem, I really don't think there's been any city in all of mankind that has been built, raised, and rebuilt again more than that. The majority of what is in Jerusalem today bears no resemblance to what was there when Jesus was there. No. But there's this one place there and with all their hearts and souls, the Jewish people believe it is the last remnant. The last remnant. The temple of the Jesus is Just one, just one point. Could it be? Out of all the destruction that God allowed to happen, He left one thing. And when the day came that they had their opportunity again, when our day comes to an end, the Lord returns to the Jews, when it comes back to that point in history where they are able and they are willing to build the temple again, they've got one corner already set. They've got one remnant of what was already there to rebuild their house of God upon us. Church, I don't care what the government's done. I don't care what COVID's done. I don't care what sin has done. I don't care what the Supreme Court has done. I don't care what anybody or anything else in all of history's done. The church is still on the rock.
be faithful to the house of God. To pray. To be in His Word always. So that we can lead others to do the same. We are living in the last days. The last of the last days. There never really has been. But even if we found ourselves in that position for a long time, there is no remaining time for idleness. I'm going to be brutally honest. If we're not praying and seeking to win souls, we're backsliding. I know there are different ways of doing it. I'm not saying that you're not ready to meet God if you've never taught a Bible study. But if you're not actively praying and seeking the mind of God, if you're not doing everything that you know how to do to win a soul, you're backsliding. Because God don't sit still. God's still working. The harvest is already white. And he said, pray that I will send you into the harvest. There's no time for complacency. There's no time to be eat up with what's going on around us. I know this world is trouble, but whether this world is trouble or not, our job is still the same. Whether it's easy or whether it's hard, whether the government supports us or whether they're against us, our job is still the same. We've got to be about our Father's business. Paul said, you got to stop drinking milk. you got to start eating meat so that we can hold somebody else. So that we can pick up that little babe in Christ and put the bottom in their mouth. Almost everyone who has had my voice been here a long, long time. You've heard enough preaching. You've heard enough teaching to tell somebody else about Jesus. You know enough of God's Word to speak it into somebody else's life. You've been in enough Holy Ghost filled church services to tell somebody else about what you felt. I'm not ready to meet God here today. I preach everything I know to preach. I know, Lord, if you tarry, she'll give you something else. But the message is still the same. Repent. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Be filled with the Holy 